0: So, if you do have a phone, uh, which you probably do because you're all adults and you live in the 21st century, um, uh, please don't use it for texting, for any form of communication. Uh, you Feel free to record anything, but uh, uh, this is this is the one time in life where we're actually all connected together, not uh, somewhere else. That's the nature of spiritual practice. So... I'm, in a, I'm doing a brief series on the core psychological teachings of the Buddha, and um, last week I covered the first noble truth and put it uh, just to, for those of you who weren't here, uh, in essence, the Buddha made the uh, profound observation that in life, shit happens. Uh, difficult, challenging, unwanted unsatisfactory dispiriting events happen in life um and he said rather than trying to avoid push away uh that what we should do instead with this this pain and suffering what he called dukkha and pali uh what we do is we learn and we understand it and how it works and um a couple of things we learn very quickly when we actually begin to investigate dukkha, is that it comes in different kinds. The Buddha says that uh, first of all, there are many different flavors at the dukkha store. Um, <laughs> there's not only, there's not only uh, pain, sickness, death, old age, decrepitude, yum. There's also um, yes, there's also frustrating events. There's not getting what we want. There's being separated from people we love, and there's being stuck with people we can't stand. And that will happen. And uh, then uh, there's another group, which is uh, sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, and the tendencies to cling desperately to try to make sense of who we are to different things. And all these experiences cause, in one way or another, a degree of stress and suffering and pain. Now, furthermore, the Buddha noted that there are certain kinds of pain, uh, well, let's just use the word pain to denote that which is inevitable. So there's physical and emotional pain, and those things you can do nothing about in terms of they are part of the package of birth. You are born into a human body, you not only get aches and pains, but gravity takes its toll, trust me. (laughs) Those of you in your... 20s and 30s, these are far-off propositions. But it, it's very easy to look at people who are older than us and, and see all the wrinkles and uh, effects on the body and think, oh, they must have done something terribly wrong! <laughs> How else to explain that? <laughs> and in fact, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but... Uh, no matter how many times you spend in or our times you spend in the gym, like uh, how how often you go to the gym or whatever, you still are in a body that ages. You still experience illness. And because there are other people in your life who also experience separation, loss, you also experience being stuck often with people that you're not particularly thrilled with. So these are events that are utterly outside of your control, they're not really brought about by uh, your actions, they happen in and of themselves. And the Buddha calls these kinds of uh, dukkha the first arrow. And we tend to get all bent out of shape when the first arrow arises. Why me? Why me? Why am I growing old? Uh, Why... Am I losing people around me? Why do I not know as many people as I knew when I was in college? All of these things are inevitable, but we tend to take them quite personally. The second part of dukkha is the, the unnecessary suffering that we add on, which the Buddha called the second arrow we shoot into ourselves. So, for instance, we stub our toe, and then we feel the pain, We might even feel the emotional shock and disappointment. But then on top of it, we add in all the stories. Why? Who put this fucking cabinet here? Fuck you! Why did I wear these shoes? And often... and uh, So these are the second arrow sufferings. And the Buddha said that actually this kind of suffering the why is this happening to me is actually where the bulk of life's suffering, unnecessary suffering, occurs. It's, and not only that, the unnecessary suffering in life is actually what makes life really, really difficult. It's not the old age, it's not the sickness, it's not the loss, it's actually all the shit that we add on top of it. This is caused, in the second noble truth, the observation is that all of the unnecessary suffering is caused by something. What is it caused by? It's caused by craving. Now, what does that mean? Why does craving cause suffering? What is it? Well, in essence, the Buddha said that craving is the thing that takes your mind from being spacious, open, and capable of holding the disappointments of life, all those first arrow sufferings. And what it does is it hitches you, gets you caught up, and makes it so that your mind can no longer carry and be with and and withstand life's challenges. If it wasn't for craving, we would all be able to live with the inevitable challenges of life, and we'd be able to find real, lasting happiness. But because of craving, we actually create the the mental uh, conditions wherein we actually cannot, cannot withstand the... Uh, disappointments of life. The underlying engine goes like this. At some point in human conditioning, the Buddha tells us we have what he calls a Ouija, which is the belief that um, suffering or pain, I should say, emotional pain, bad news, frustrating events is a mistake. It shouldn't happen to us. There should be some kind of inoculation to pain. Right? This kind of fucking sucks. I don't like getting bad news. I don't like it when I don't get my painting in a gallery, my book getting published, my friends don't return my phone call. I don't like frustrating events. I don't like it when I feel uh, sick. I don't like it when, you know, things don't go my way. There's something wrong here. And that belief that instead of seeing that this is part of the package of life that everybody experiences frustrating turns of events, we tend to take it personally and we look for uh, a way out. We look for a magic mushroom that we can take. No, we don't. We look for a, uh, some way to not ever feel pain. So... Uh, This sets us up for craving. Craving comes in three different shades. Craving is the way we deal with this desire to never have to experience any setbacks, any of the inevitable pains. So the first kind of craving is called Tana, Kamatana, and it's a... What it is is the desire for some kind of diversion, sensual pleasure, something that will immediately get rid of the bad news, push it out, suppress it, get rid of it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to acknowledge it. I just want to get drunk. I just want... I hate my job. I just want to shop. I... I don't like my family. I want to eat. I don't... I don't feel connected with anybody. I want to have compulsive sex. I just want to not feel this shit. And I want something to get rid of it. I just want to get rid of it. Get me the fuck out of this feeling. Probably not the way the Buddha envisioned it being presented, but... (laughs) But that's what he... that's, That's... that's uh, comatonic for you. It's just searching for essential pleasure that will obliterate the uh, that will feel good immediately. But get me out of here quick. You know, help me take the edge off. Give me something that will make. You know, when you feel lonely, you turn on the television or you go to Facebook. When you feel disconnected from people, you post maybe a selfie. God forbid. <laughs> I'm just saying that because I never look good. There's never been a selfie of mine. I've taken a couple, and I'm like, fuck this. It's never going to work out. <laughs> the combination of this weird lookingness and the nose and the, the Jewish forehead and the, you know, whatever, it's just not happening to me. So. But, you know, people look nice, they, they feel disconnected, they run out, they take a, a selfie. The weird selfie (laughs) face. And uh, they post it, they get the the approval. Oh, look, I look so beautiful. Oh, you're such a hottie. You know, uh, (laughs) and it makes us feel good for about 30 seconds, and then we're back in the shit. But, you know, uh, so that's the nature of that. And the the problem with this kind of craving is that it... uh, while we're in it, we're not actually dealing with alleviating, addressing, acknowledging, investigating any of the underlying emotional pain or the how can we heal, hold the disappointment, hold the emotional uh, reactions, how can we be present, how can we learn how to hold these difficult experiences we can create a safe container. We can learn how to send meta to ourselves when we're suffering. May I be happy? I'll take care of myself. But instead of learning all these skills, we just keep on running away looking for the drug, the alcohol, the shopping, the binges, the compulsive activity, the thing that hopefully will make, get rid of it. So the second kind of flavor of uh, suffering is called bawa. And that's the belief, oh, if only I could change something drastically about my state of being, if only I could change myself in some way, that that would be the way I would never have to suffer. So it's not about finding essential pleasure. It's about that sort of, when I get a degree, when I get a girlfriend, boyfriend, when I get to move into my own apartment, I don't have roommates, when I don't have the shitty job, when, 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 when. Whenever you say when... You're in Bawa Tana, probably It's that idea that there's some magical point in the future where you attain some mystical state where you will never ever have to feel pain, ever have discouraging events the uh, you know the bad stuff will never happen so uh and, of course, the problem with that is that it creates the delusion that you right now cannot be happy or peaceful, that you're missing something. All of advertising plays on either the, this first or the second type. They either say, buy this, you'll never have to worry about your home, children, wife, mortgage, anything again, or they're saying, you need this diploma as soon as you learn how to swim, fly. <laughs> shit, do anything, (laughs) you will never have to feel pain. That's the foundation of advertising. That there's something you're missing that you need to get. And this is delusional. There's nothing you're ever going to get in your life. There's no state you're ever going to attain that's going to give you more tools. You have actually all you need right now. You actually don't need to acquire, attain, to do anything to... Spiritually develop peace. You have everything you need. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to buy. I don't have any pamphlets to sell you for 1995 that will give you the state you need to be. You have it already. So, the third form of craving that uh, is, creates all the unnecessary suffering in life is the desire to get rid of. Awareness to achieve numbness. That's kind of the uh, extreme craving, the kind of the, the drug addict's desire to el- eliminate consciousness, to sleep until it all goes away, to turn off the mind, to numb out. And, of course, that also create, continues the illusion that there's something right now that's missing from us, that we are incomplete, or there's something wrong about us, and that we don't deserve to have peace and tranquility, that we have to get rid of all of our awareness. That's the only solution. So these three all together create the constant arising of needless suffering in our life. Yes, there will be inevitable pains of loss and aging and so sickness and people doing things we don't want, and that will happen, but the desire to escape into compulsive activities to make it all go away, the desire to get to some state in the future, the desire to get rid of all of our awareness, this is what makes our life unbearable, which makes the mind at a place that cannot hold the inevitable challenges of life. So the Buddha said in the craving sutta that when we get caught up in these statements about there's something wrong with me, I've got to attain something, I've you know, there's something missing, there's something wrong with my present state, I've got to achieve some future identity, and then I'll be uh safe, happy, whatever. He says what this does is it links us in what he calls Tana Vikaratani, which means uh just a proliferation of thoughts that fill up the mind about ourself and our personality and who we are and why is it happening to me. And he says it comes out in thoughts like, why is this happening? Am I different from other people? Am I good and this is happening to me for no reason? Am I bad and this is happening to me for a reason? Should I be, I should be different. I should be a better person. If only I was there instead of here. If only, should, I'm wrong. I, 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 I. All these thoughts create the idea that somehow pain in life is unique and it's about us and it's not. There's a wonderful team of Scottish um, psychologists that have recently whittled down universal emotions down to four. There are four basic emotions from which all our other emotions arise. We're all working from a color palette of four fucking emotional colors, and yet we all get caught up in the specifics of our sadness, our depression, our frustration, and that gives us the illusion that we are different, that we can't share our suffering or our troubles, because we get so caught up in the specific details that we don't really see that, at the root of it, It's all about abandonment or about frustration or simply about the feeling of not being loved or not being heard and that it just creates the same emotional experiences of frustration and anger or sadness. And that's all it is. There's nothing that unique that we're going through. And what happens though is the more we get caught up in these stories of you know, self and why did this girlfriend break up with me or that boyfriend not stay around or why am I finding it difficult to pay the rent is we get artificially separated from others and we don't reach out and we don't express the emotions and we don't learn how to create a safe container with other people that can hold life's challenging experiences. So here we found out how... how, um, craving works, and how it causes the suffering. Um, what it does is it also creates a uh, a constant need to always re-narrate everything that's happening. We always, when some difficult experience happens, when we're caught up in uh, identity stories or self or narrating our life and, and, and trying to... Uh, somehow create a meaning in that way, what happens is all the time the mind gets caught up in, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why am I the one who knows you know, these frustrating events? And that uses up the mind's ability to see clearly what to do. So the first truth is that there's nothing, as we said, personal about physical and emotional pain. Uh, I was sitting the other day uh, in Washington Square Park, two-story, and I, uh, I had spent two days in a row trying to get Bonnie. You know, sometimes you get fixated, you want something, and you, you go on a expedition And then you you go somewhere really far, and you try to get the thing, and then you can't get it. I went, I rode all the way into dipshit Queens to, like, find a bonnie sandwich at some place that got a good review in (laughs) Gothamist. And it closed five minutes before I got there. Then I did the same thing the next day in, like, Avenue Z and Death Street in Brooklyn. And both of them closed five minutes before I got there, so I... Finally, I decided I'm going to go to this place called Saigon Shack in Washington, near Washington Square. So I got there on time. I got my sandwich. I opened up. I sat in front of me, and a fucking pigeon shot all over the front of my head. (laughs) I got a nice sloping, so it's like rolling down. I'm like. You know, fuck you, really? And, and really, at that moment in time, there's two, there's a fork in the road. There's everything pulling us towards taking it personally. Why me? I finally get my bon me, and I got shot on by the universe. And this is so unfair. Or there's the possibility of grabbing the napkin, wiping it off wiping off my shirt and continuing to eat the bong mi, <laughs> you know? And I did. That's the difference between the first arrow and the second. The second arrow makes it so my mind fills up with so many stories of how unfair it is and I just don't ridden my bike three days in a row for an hour to get to places, and I just get the bon mi, blah blah, 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 And then what happens is I don't actually stay present and enjoy the banh mi and enjoy being in the park in a nice day, you know, with a delicious Vietnamese sense. The storytelling, the trying to figure it out, the narrating it, the putting it into my life and what it means and and all that it actually takes away from the very simple action of just wiping it off acknowledging that the feeling that was disgusting, just feeling that and then it's done with so suffering arises due to causes and conditions and um especially uh, in the case of craving that causes suffering, we can very often interrupt it. The Buddha said quite interestingly and profoundly true that before every time there's any kind of craving in life, any kind of compulsion, addiction, any impulse to act, before that there's always some physical discomfort, what he called Vedana, some emotional expression of stress in the body. As I was saying earlier, the stomach gets tight often if we're carrying around a lot of fear. If we're feeling hurt by a rejection in life, we'll feel the chest tight. If we're overwhelmed, the shoulders. So there's going to be something tight in your body. And if you're really embodied, if you keep some of your awareness on the body, you can begin to catch the discomfort and the emotional pain before it turns into craving and before it creates the conditions where the mind can no longer hold life's difficulties. If you can catch it physically, you can always, in essence, it's like uh, getting to the bomb and... What do you Diffusing. (laughs) Diffusing. Diffusing it. Sometimes, I've actually studied with monks, uh, Tom Jeff says that he can actually catch it in the breath, that he literally knows what his breath is like when he's uh, relaxed, fully aware, present in his life, and he can catch any kind of uh, something that's going to turn into craving just by that hitch that happens. Because when we begin to get caught by something in life, the outbreath no longer is full and complete, it starts getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Your, your brain will always make sure you get enough oxygen. You'll always breathe in deeply enough. You don't have to worry about that. So, but in a situation, a, a, a something where you're beginning to feel conflict going on between you and someone, if you can catch the breath and notice when it's becoming a little short, and extend the outbreath. We can actually diffuse interpersonal conflict right before it, are, you know, it turns into a fight. Because, I, and I've done this so many times, you know, just catch, note when the outbreath is just getting stuck here, right in the chest, and just con- and just extend it into the belly. If you can do that. Very often there's nothing in life that can trigger us. Or it becomes a fuck of a lot harder to trigger us. Um, another thing we learned, the last two things to mention, are we begin to see the less we get caught up in self and why is this happening to me, and the whole taking it personally, what the Buddha called Sakayatiti, trying to think, you know place every event in terms of our life, and I'm the one who's been through all this, and, and all that, what we begin to see is that, just like the good times, the difficult shit passes. And very often, because difficult things arise due to conditions, they also pass when conditions change. So many times people, I work, I do a lot of mentoring work, one-on-one work with people, and people will come and they'll say, I gotta know what to do! I gotta do something, I need my job, but I don't know what I'm gonna do if I don't have the money to pay the rent. What do I gotta do? What am I gonna do? And when people, (laughs) when we don't know, if we just stop, relax, learn to breathe, be present, The next time I always talk to them, it's always, so, how did that work out? They're like, oh, that, that, that that solved itself. It turned out the person I hated at the job got fired. It's all fine. (laughs) (laughs) But it's when people actually do something that you're (laughs) worried. I quit my job. It's great. I'm sleeping on the subway right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I've heard that conversation. So, uh, last of all, when we are hit with life's overwhelming emotional and physical pain, the difficult situations, we want to be able to hold it without going into escapist craving, addiction, whatever, uh, flight, avoidance. We can actually learn to hold and be present with it by breaking down each experience into the core foundations. How does it feel in the breath? How does it feel in the areas of the body that express emotions? What does the mind feel like when it's agitated or upset or disappointed? And what kind of thoughts are present? Take them one by one, not all at once. Find the breath, relax the breath, find the body, relax the body where the, t- the tension is find the awareness if it's very tight and just fixated on the story expand it hear sounds feel contact sensations bring in you know other awareness and four if we're c- caught up in thoughts about the frustrating event the relationship that ended the job that ended the person that's not acting in ways <coughs> that you want uh, the family member who's driving us crazy, bring in don't try to get rid of that story but just bring in other reflections that will counterbalance it. In times when we're craving something we can develop and bring in thoughts of gratitude when we're caught up in aversion we can bring in thoughts of times that they've acted skillfully or other people in our life that have been helpful. We can bring in reflections of times we've acted immaturely You know, have not acted above board. In my experience, every time I get caught up or hooked by someone, I can always just reflect, well, is it really true that I've never done anything like this ever? (laughs) I drank for an awful lot of years!
1: (laughs) Let's unpack
0: the memory box with a little honesty here. So these kind of skills, breaking it down, taking things stage by stage, can actually allow us to be present with all of life's difficult experiences rather than giving into cravings, urge to escape, run away, or believe that we can't be happy right now because there's something wrong with us and we need to get to some future state. So that's the second noble truth. Hope there was something worthwhile in there. I thank you for listening. And now, for those of you who need to go, uh, if you can, remember to, uh, to donate because it's really important to uh, pay the rent.